From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. As the Gators hit their bye week, Billy Napier and his staff have their first opportunity since the season started to sit back and evaluate not just game tape from last week and film on the next opponent, but take more of a bird's eye view of the first seven games and try to find some solutions for the 4-3 and three squad. On today's show, we'll welcome the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, and FloridaGators.com senior writers, Scott Carter and Chris Harry to delve into the defensive woes that led to a high-scoring loss to LSU, expectations for potential changes after the bye, the latest developments from the basketball complex going to their first scrimmage, and the pros and cons of the new Major League Baseball playoff format in the PAT. Then, Gator great Torian Green joins the show to talk about finishing his journey on the court and the new role on Todd Golden's coaching staff that brought him back to Gainesville. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet healthcare destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is our bi-week roundtable. We have the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, FloridaGators.com senior writers, Scott Carter, and Chris Harry to assess uh, where we are at the uh, just past the halfway point, which we discussed last week. But we knew this was going to be a huge game. There was all the, the pomp and circumstance around it. Mick Hubert was back to be the celebrity Mr. Two Bits. Tom Petty was honored at the end of the third quarter. There was so much surrounding this game, and, and I think the hope was that after what we saw against Missouri, Florida would be able to put enough things together to get another win and really hit the second half hard. Um, that did not happen. And I guess to start, let's talk about you know what didn't go right in that LSU game uh, that put Florida where they are right now, four and three at the bye. Well, I think the conversation starts with the Gators defense right now. And, and if you allow your opponent to score six touchdowns in their first six possessions, your likelihood of winning kind of goes down. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. We had so much going on around the game. It was the end of the homestand, as, as you said. It was, a, it was plenty of extra activity around this game, which really arguably was on the calendar going to be your most attractive home game of the year. And I just think that where we are, and I'm not trying to be too brief or gloss over certain things, but I don't think that right now anyone is to think that it's that Florida is expected to win a football game, nor should they be in a position to expect to lose. And, and I think that's where things kind of stand with this team right now in that I think they still have the ability to be in most every game uh, and it, it can go one way or the other. We just saw it go horribly the other way against LSU at, and the, the defense was more leaky. All, all the things that we kind of picked out with the defense seemed to get gashed open a bit. Uh, and, and that, you know, puts you in a position where even where 35 points from your offense uh, wasn't going to be enough. Yeah, it starts with Florida's defense, the six touchdowns on their first six drives. You know, going into that game, the talk was Jaden Daniels was such a good runner, hadn't done a lot in the passing game. 
Yeah, he looked like he was going to win the Heisman Trophy the other night. And, uh, you know, the guy threw, uh, what, 349 yards. I guess made the plays in the passing game that the Gators didn't at times. And uh, they had no answers for him. And, you know, uh, I kind of agree with what Sean just said. I mean, this is a Florida team that when you look at what they have left, I mean, they're going to be heavy underdogs against number one ranked Georgia coming off to buy. Will I be surprised if they hang with the Bulldogs? I won't be surprised. I won't be surprised if they lose to anybody under schedule or beat anybody under schedule. That's just the way this team is right now. Uh, it's not going to be pretty, probably, whatever they do. They don't have uh, enough talent across the board, certainly on defense, to shut down opponents. So they're going to have to outscore some teams, I think, to win games. But you're going to have to get a stop here and there. And that just really never came against LSU until late. And then, of course, when they got that interception, uh, they had probably their most costly penalty of the year. And, you know, you can look at it. Well, was it roughing the pass or was it not? That's going to get called most days these days. Uh, it's just uh, it was a fortunate turn of events for the Gators and really spooled what I thought was a, you know, a really fun day uh, at the Swamp, uh, you know, with Petty and one of those performances that they certainly uh, would have liked to have an end on a different note going into their bye week. Uh, Scott and I spoke to a longtime LSU uh, beat writer uh, in the press box after the game, Scott Rabelais, who grew up in Baton Rouge and been covering them for a long time. That's the most he he remarked to us. Uh, it was the most yards ever thrown by a quarterback in, uh, in the LSU Florida series by by a Tiger quarterback. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, Joe Burrow played in that game a few years ago, so that really says something. Absolutely. In fact, it was yeah. Jamie Howard is the person that uh, who whose whose yardage number oh, he, wow. he he did eclipse. Someone from 1992. But like uh, Sean said, you can't expect this. You can't expect that. What you should be able to expect, though, from a, from a University of Florida team, you got to expect them to get to stop one third down out of the first nine. Now they did. They were at one point. I think they were eight of nine on third down. The one that they didn't get, it was a third and 17. They gained 16 yards on it to set up a fourth and one that was converted into a touchdown. So, I mean, those, are, those aren't just devastating kind of uh, chunks of yards. It's demoralizing to the sidelines. And, and you know, I, I don't want to sound, sound too Pollyannish here, but, get, you know, you give them credit for keeping it together enough because I can see where that could be a problem. I know in previous, under previous coaches that would have been a problem on the sidelines. Okay, and you start there with some finger pointing and what have you. And we heard from we heard about Ventrell Miller stepping up uh, in the locker room after the game. I don't know that he that it was about taking ownership, but it's like we got to fix this. You got to do something about it. And it's a situation right now. Like like Scott said, I mean the the Scott, where's the talent in comparison to other Gator teams that we've seen? You know, and I've been doing this with the Gators since 1990. Been watching them. Uh, I know a lot of people listen to this have gone back way farther than that. It's just uh, the back end of that defense, the pass rush and stuff like that. They, there just weren't any plays being made by defensive players. And uh, that's going to be talked about until that those guys give us reasons not to talk about it some more. And believe me, this isn't something that they don't know. They're, they're, they're rehashing this right now. They'll spend the bye week uh, thinking about it, of course, and uh, it doesn't get any easier than next game. I wouldn't be surprised, gentlemen, if we don't see some decisions being made on personnel here very, very soon. Um, open open dates are when you do that, right, Sean? That's for yep, whether it's the yeah, NFL, absolutely. whether it's college. That's right. That's right. Yep. And, and and names that we've come to know for a long time, 
may have to give way a little bit to names that we don't know a whole lot about just to see what perhaps, I mean, look, what have you got to lose right now defensively? Sure. You know, try a bunch of different things here. And I think we saw a little bit. There were a couple of guys that all of a sudden started popping up with their snap counts on that defensive side of the football that maybe had not played as many plays in a game uh, that we saw in the LSU matchup. I'll let folks go back and watch the watch the replay for themselves. But you know, there's certain numbers that you you didn't see a whole lot of earlier in the season that you're starting to see more of now, and uh, that leads me to believe um, that what I said is probably going to only increase here in the coming weeks. So that sort of transitions into what I want to ask you guys about next, which is at this point you're four and three, we can be pretty plain about it. This team is not going to the playoff. This team is not going to Atlanta. So at what point do you sort of shift into that mode of, we need to start doing things that set us up for the future. And does that mean personal? Does that mean trying some different things schematically? I guess just as we look toward the post by a part of this year, what are you going to be looking for and maybe expecting that would have been different from, you know, week two after Florida beats Utah and all of a sudden, you know, there's talk about this season being a chance to contend. If I can speak to that, I, I'm a person that uh, you can't mail in a season. Okay. And just say, we got to start looking ahead because Look at all the guys that you're going to lose in the locker room, the older the older guys, because they still have something to play for in their mind. You hear these people on talk radio, just start playing the younger guys. To hell with these. You can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm not an advocate by any, by any stretch. But uh, uh, as, as far as what Sean's saying, increase reps for some guys here and that kind of thing, I just don't, I just don't think you fold the tent and, and like with the sprays Steve Spurrier used to say, I'm not going to follow that guy away at this time of the way. I, I don't. No. I don't think you can start doing that yet because you 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 have a danger of causing more problems than 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 you would currently have. I think I'm I'm with you, Chris, because I this to me this is more about do whatever it takes to find a way to win games. You're trying to build a winning culture. The only way to build a winning culture is to win games. So whatever that is on your roster, whatever combination in order to win a football game is the way you go. And, and look, I still think. Bowl eligibility is a big deal, especially for a first-year program in that that gives you those extra practices. You're playing for that. You're playing for having that winning culture. This is how we win football games because that's what pays off down the road. So this is about find guys that can help us win right now because this combination certainly isn't working. Mm -hmm. And that's I guess that's what I'm going at is don't be afraid to try whatever it takes to win a football game and then build another win on top of another win. To me, the, there's a there's a lot like these guys just talked about, but I think the dynamic with Anthony Richardson has gotten more interesting as the season's going on, and I say that because you know you you don't have to be an expert to know that he, he's not done some things consistently in the passing game that we saw from Jaden Daniels the other night. Now the Florida's defense helped him certainly, but I think. You know, do you just let Anthony loose? You know, people keep saying, I mean, we obviously saw what he can do right after the uh, in the fourth quarter. I mean, that was an amazing run. Not many guys, not many quarterbacks are going to do that, right? I mean, there may be a game where you just need to let him carry the ball 20 times. Say, Anthony, he'll make the plays that we're going to need to try to win a game. Is that against Georgia? Who knows? But it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Also, I don't know what you can do defensively. I mean, these guys just talked about it. I mean, it's not like you can go make some trades. So I don't mind seeing some other guys. What, Miguel Mitchell we saw make that pick that got overruled. 
He's a guy we saw, Kamari Wilson, people want to see him more. But it all goes back to what Chris said and Sean. There's a lot at stake on this season. You know, I know it's not going the way the fans maybe have thought after seven games, but it's important for Florida to have a winning record. It's, it's important to get to a bowl game. Uh, it's important in recruiting for this momentum that they have with Billy Napier to, you know, try to find some ways to finish strong. And, you know, you certainly know that's what they're going to try to do. It's just it all goes back to some of the pieces aren't fitting probably like, you know, we envision and maybe the coaches even envision. But, you know, they're going to, I'm sure, try their best to find some parts of fit, man. Every year when we hit the bye week, it's also a sign that basketball is getting very close. And Chris, you know, we, we talked a few weeks ago about the official start of practice. Uh, what can you tell us now? You know, we're just a few weeks away from the season getting underway. And, and, and what are you seeing happening there behind closed doors? Yeah, speaking of closed doors, uh, we'll know a, a lot more about this basketball team this weekend when they have a uh, close scrimmage against the University of Miami here in the O-Dome. Um, in the past, the, the the Gators have played one close scrimmage and had one exhibition game. This year, Todd Golden opted for two close scrimmages, the first of which is this week. They're going to do a uh, like an orange and blue kind of play a half of a game for the public on November first. But they're going to they're going to turn the teams loose a little bit uh, in the scrimmage this week and we're start looking at combinations. Who can do what uh, on Monday? Will Richards return to the team? Uh, for practice uh, with no restrictions, he's he's full go for full contact. Um, on t- on uh, Tuesday, he had an he had a really really good day of practice after looking kind of rusty on Monday. To be honest with you, I- I'm just anxious to see um, the kind of combinations they're going to use, how they're going to implement uh, some of these guys, how they're going to distribute some of this time to these guys on the wing because uh, they're 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 two, they're two position and three position guys are where they have the most, what I would call a log jam. And I want to find out, can this team shoot the ball? I want to, I want to see, I want to see Todd Golden's uh, demeanor on the sidelines. I want to see if these guys who have developed really good chemistry um, uh, show it during a game. Um, I want to see if Colin Castleton is, is really as good <laughs> as he's been showing in practice because he's, he's looked, he's looked like an all American, frankly, uh, in, in practice. Um, this is a much longer team. It's a taller team. It's a more athletic team than a year ago. It's got a brand new coaching staff. There's, I, I think there's a lot of intrigue to this basketball season. Maybe we'll know a little bit more about it. Obviously, next week, fans won't be able to see it. Uh, I'll, I'll be there, and maybe we'll be able to talk about it a little more next week. I saw the other day the men's basketball Instagram account was doing kind of a swipe through of meet the new staff. And there were a lot of guys on there that fans have probably never heard of. And then one guy they know extremely well, and that is Torian Green. And we're going to hear from him right after this roundtable. But Chris, I'm curious you know, how he's adjusting to this role, um, what he's doing back there in, in the operation and, and what it means for him to be in Gainesville again. Well, he's on the de- he's on the developmental side of it. So what he does most of all, he's at, he's obviously at every practice and he's giving feedback to these guys in kind of like a almost like a, a big brother kind of way. But where he's really invaluable is on a day to day interaction with these guys and working guys out on their own. Uh, they're allowed X amount of time to do stuff, but if they want to do stuff on their own, they can come and say, "I need somebody to work me out in the gym," and that's that's what that's what Tory and Green's for. That's what he did uh, it, uh, it, uh, for Billy Donovan up with the Chicago Bulls. And granted, it's it, probably different working out Demar Derozan versus working out Kowasi Reeves a little bit, but 
on this scale, it really helps. And he's, he's able to take that experience that he had uh, doing it for those guys and maybe saying, you know, you know, this is, this is how they do it, but he has, his, he has routines. He has, uh, 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 you know, the, the shots kind of stuff that they do with the chairs and the cones and the counting numbers. He's out there with managers, but he is a very well-liked, uh, very popular person in the building, as I'm sure uh, these fans uh, will be able to tell from your conversation with him. Moving on to a PAT, uh, this is inspired by a, it's partly a personal gripe. I'll acknowledge that. But it's also something I think that, that may not be the most fair way that we determine something in sports, and that is the Major League Baseball playoff system. Now, I actually have no issue with the, the new part of this, uh, this formula, which has the wild card series, a two out of three uh, for the division winner with the worst record, and then the three wild card teams. It's better than the one game playoff for sure. My issue lies mostly with the division series. Is it because the Braves lost? Kind of. But it's also probably because the Dodgers lost. And if you look historically, a lot of really, really great regular season teams have lost in the division series because it's a best of five, which is in a lot of ways a crapshoot after a 162 game season. And I just don't know that it's fair. I think that all postseason series for baseball should be seven games because a five game series it takes a, it, you, it, there's too many things that are critical to winning in a season that don't come into play in that short series, specifically depth of pitching. I'm curious for your thoughts on this. I, I shall begin. Uh, and Adam, I'm proud of you for acknowledging that there is, there is a tinge of Atlanta Braves, uh, you know, I, disappointment. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm, uh, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm just, I'm getting my um, feelings out, you know? I understand that. And when my Cardinals lost in this new best of three, uh, you know, wild card thing as a division winner, I could have, I could have brought this up for a possible PAT, but I, you know, you are the moderator. I get it. Um, look, it's interesting. You're, you are right in saying that the best way to determine a winner of a series is a best of seven. I believe that in basketball, I believe that's the case in hockey, uh, in these season, in these uh, sports where you have such a long season, unfortunately for baseball, two things matter here. One is we don't, have the ability to play indoors for every one of these games like basketball or hockey does pitching is such an issue no team can go seven games seven games seven games if we're doing divisional league and then world series i just think and and, and certainly i don't think the baseball thing or the world is ready for a two-month-long postseason because that's basically what we'd have to start this at labor day in the hopes of Ending at the end of October. Now I'm just I'm only adding two games. I'm adding two games to the division series. That's I, I all I'm gonna do. Yeah, I, yes, you're only adding two games to the division series, but that you know, then we still have a seven game LCS to go through and a seven game World Series. I, I'm torn, uh, and I'm and I'm not I'm not trying to just straddle the fence here. I like the expanded playoffs because I think more teams are involved. I think it creates more excitement from you know the the dog days of the season there early August into into the pennant races now in September. So if, if that's the positive, I guess the payback is, is a best of three that's going to eliminate a certain amount of teams and then the division series too. So it does stink a little bit, but I also don't want to fall into the trap of, you know, like being a New York Yankees fan and feeling like um, we, sh- we are entitled to be in the world series every year. We're the New York Yankees because look, sometimes the hot team goes on to win. I think Atlanta's been the hot team before at the right time and last gone on year, to yeah. win. Yep, last year. And so 
there are Braves fans, Mets fans, Dodgers fans, Cardinals fans. There's a lot of fans right now scratching their head. How could have we been so good? How is our roster so stacked? And we're not playing for it all uh, in what will this year be the uh, latest ending World Series in the history of baseball, as far as I can recall. Anyway, um, that's just my two cents. Um, you know, I, if, if you want more teams and more markets involved, this is what you're going to get. If you want to go back to the old way, then, yes, we can return to seven-game series and all postseason action. Uh, I tell you, I stayed up the other night after the – got home after working late for the LSU-Florida game, and that, that was a pretty cool scene in San Diego, man. And, uh, uh, you know, given what the Padres had to listen to the Dodgers and what's going on with that for the last, you know, half a century, that was just kind of cool. And you guys are bigger baseball fans uh, in the big picture than I am. Was that not cool, guys? Sean, was it not cool watching the Padres Absolutely. take out the Dodgers? Yes. It I was, mean, it was super cool, but was it fair? I'm not denying it was cool. I love watching it's, the Dodgers. It's, it's, it's what it's always been. Fair. It's uh, out of five. It's what it's always been. I mean, it's what it's, what it's been the last however many years it's been. Doesn't it's mean what it, it can't change. Year. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. Just because it's always been done. I like way. watching bowl games on on Christmas Day, not baseball games. So we're <laughs> you know we don't want to extend extend the season any. And, and, and come on now, what 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 is wrong? You guys with are gaslighting me. I'm asking for two more games. That's it. But Scott, Scott, you you are more of a baseball historian than any of us. Wasn't the LCS at one time a best of five? Before we even had divisional series, yeah, it was. It oh, was, was it really? uh, from I think '69 yeah. yes. until '84, '85. You can look at it a lot of different ways. I kind of like. I mean, I'm all for 12 teams. I like the expanded playoffs. I actually like the wild card. I don't mind the division series. And as a Braves fan, I was disappointed to see them lose. But as a sports fan, I'm intrigued by this Phillies Padres uh, NLCS because. I mean, there's storylines galore, man. I mean, you know, neither team's been in the uh, this deep in the postseason in a long time. You got Bryce Harper finally with a chance to get to the World Series. You got the Padres doing this without their best player, Fernando Tatis Jr. So that's why I like sports. I mean, I, you know, you can go back through history, and baseball does probably have more teams winning the championship that no one really saw coming in any other sport. I mean, Braves last year, for instance, what they won one more game, I think, than the Phillies this year. So, I mean, it's just that I mean, it's what makes the sports intriguing to me. I mean, uh, and the history part of it. I mean, they'll, they'll be talking about this for a while, you know, the, whether it's the Phillies or the Padres. I mean, they'll, they'll remember this National League Championship Series because nobody had it written down when the playoffs started. So, I think I think Adam wants to go back to like when the Black Sox had to win seven games to win the championship or however many held games it was. <laughs> they used back to play then. nine. Like, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, best out of nine. That's what that's what he wants. You guys are so hung up on the calendar. So let's just play like <laughs> ten fewer games in the regular sure. season and sure, play best of seven. Let's play two hundred and fifty games during the regular season. We don't we so, don't need hundred and sixty two yeah. games. Make it hundred and fifty. Let's just not even have any. Just make that. We'll just have the Yankees and Braves play every year for the World Series because that's really what it should be. (laughs) I mean, okay, guys. I guess this is where we're landing today. Um, I still feel like I. I feel like I'm right, and you've not done anything to definitively prove me wrong. So I will leave with that positive feeling uh, as we bring this roundtable to a close. 
It is a bye week. Make sure to keep following these guys online. They've always got stuff coming out. Uh, FloorGators.com is where you find the content. Check out Gators Chris. Check out Gators Scott. And check out Sean Kelly Live. If there's any news going on about the Gators, they'll be on top of it. And next week, we'll talk Georgia. It'll be a very big challenge, no question. But we look forward to it. And everybody, enjoy your bye week. Thank you, Adam. When you think about the cross-section of Gators with big personalities and resumes to match, Torian Green has to be near the top of any list. The 0-4 who probably gets the least amount of attention, Green ran the show as the point guard for the back-to-back national champs and went on to have a lengthy career playing professionally overseas, only recently retiring and pivoting to new opportunities in coaching. We spoke to the new director of player development over the summer in a wide-ranging chat about his past, present, and future, beginning with what first brought him to Gainesville almost 20 years ago. Uh, well, my dad was coaching at FAU, and I, was, I went to high school my freshman year in Orlando, and my dad wanted me to go to a school down there close to him, uh, Westminster. So I moved from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale, you know, with my dad, my sophomore year, and you know, I went to school down there, uh, won a state championship, and then I left after my sophomore year, and I went to IMG my junior year, and then I moved back to Fort Lauderdale my senior year. So, um, obviously, I love South Florida. You know, I have a lot of friends that I that that's that lives there and that I still keep in contact with. So, you know, that's like my second home. Hmm. When when did you start playing basketball? Like, how did you get involved? I know obviously your, your dad played in the NBA. Um, so was it like was it always a foregone conclusion you were gonna play, or how did you start playing? Uh, it was just natural, man. You know, I was always around the game because my dad played, and I just gravitated towards it. Like you know, he didn't push me to play or anything. Like I just gravitated towards it. I was always around it, and it, it just came natural. I guess basketball is a big part of your life from that early on. It's always in the back of your mind. That could be something that you're going to pursue. But when did it really click for you? When did you say, you know what, this is something that could take me a long way in life? Uh, I mean, I always thought like that since I was a kid, since I was a kid. You know, every every kid's dream is to play in the NBA. Um, I was always, you know, I was always really good when I was young. You know, I always knew there would be a chance. My dad would always, you know, just talk to me, just say, you got to keep putting in the work. You know, there's other kids out there that's trying to get to the same place you're trying to get. So he always kept me on edge. And, um, you know, I just kept putting in the work and, you know, I kept getting better. was able to, you know, win a state championship and, you know, go to IMG, be able to, you know, really work on my game my junior year. And then, um, you know, my senior year being able to play for a state championship and, you know, everything just just started clicking. And, you know, I felt like, you know, I had a chance. I was had to keep working and, you know, got to Florida, you know, literally went straight to the gym. You know, so it's just a credit to, you know, my work, my work ethic, you know, my dad staying in my ear and just, you know, always believing. How much interest did you have during recruiting? Was Florida always the leader? Were there a lot? Was it a tough decision for you? What do you remember about that time? I mean, my dad had me watching uh, games from, you know, Coach Donovan's teams, you know, here at Florida. Um, you know, they have the history of playing together. You know, my dad's always loved Coach D as a as a coach. And, you know, I always used to watch their style of play. I used to watch, you know, clips of Jay Will. And, um, you know, I kind of always knew I wanted to come to Florida. I wasn't heavily recruited. Um, I had offers from, you know, Miami, South Carolina, Georgia, you know, a few schools, but nothing crazy. But, um, you know, when when Florida offered, you know, I knew I wanted to go. I had to 
I had to play better than, you know, a couple of other players that, you know, Florida was recruiting at the time. But, <laughs> you know, I locked in, handled business, and, you know, the rest was history. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about your time at Florida, specifically, uh, you know, the 04s and that connection we talked a couple years ago. But I'm, I'm curious now, when you look back on that time, um, especially now and, you know, being in the, this new place you are, which we'll talk about in a second, but how did, how did your time at Florida really shape who you are today? Like, what, how do you think you grew the most when you look back on your time in school? As a basketball player, you know, I just feel like, you know, I accepted Coach Donovan's coaching. You know, he was on my ass every day. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, that made me a better player. You know, I accepted the coaching. You know, there were some – there was a lot of good days, but there were some bad days. But, you know, I, I had to, you know, just accept the coaching, learn, and, and just get better. And I think that made me a better player, a better point guard, you know. And then as a as a person, you know, just – I'm a Florida boy, so I was just at home. And, you know, just being able to be home, go to the, you know, best, best school in the state and just – you know, you go through experiences. You know, you're still a kid when you're in school, so – you know, you make mistakes and, you know, the older you get, you just learn from the mistakes and make sure you don't repeat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because as fans, you know, it's very easy to to reminisce about the glory days, right? And I know there's there's a ton of fans that think all the time about the back-to-back titles and, and some of the moments that went into that. How much do you look back on that? Is that something you reflect on a lot or, or does it sort of stay locked in the past because you have too many other things to worry about? Well, I reflect on it when I'm teaching the game to other to the young players or because I just look at you know what it took to win and you know just you know just the attitude you have to have the approach you have to have to practice to your teammates to your coaches and you know the discipline you have to have so that's what I you know appreciate the most just being able to I don't know it's like I it's, <laughs> it's difficult to, yeah it's difficult to say but just everything I've learned here or everything I've learned from a winning situation, I just try to always reflect back and remember because that's what winning's about. And I just try to, you know, implement that to my, you know, own coaching style and just, you know, try to dish out everything I've learned to this young generation because realistically they need it. And, you know, I just want to be able to give back. That's the best part to me, being able to give back to these kids and just, you know, basically like pay, pay it forward, you know. Mm-hmm. When, and I know you learned a lot, obviously, from what you accomplished in college, and then you had a very long pro career as well overseas. Um, mm-hmm. Talk talk about your time playing overseas. What was it like? I know, obviously, you know, everyone wants to be in the NBA, but when that route wasn't available, how did you make the most of the opportunities that you had overseas? Well, after my rookie year, I could have stayed in the NBA. Um, I would have been a third guard probably, probably when I played a lot, um, but I still would have been in the NBA, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm a competitor. You know, I want to play. I want to be able to contribute. My best opportunity to do that was just to go overseas. And, you know, it was tough. But, you know, I spoke with my agent and he convinced me that it was a great move, which it was. You know, I made, you know, my first few years, I made pretty much the same amount of money that I was going to make being in the NBA. And, you know, it was tax free over there. And and I wanted to play and to be able to contribute. And, it was an adjustment my first few years, you know, just be just having coming from the NBA, you know, like the rules are different. You know, you have to put the ball on the floor before you take a step. I traveled about 500 times. <laughs> <laughs> I got called for traveling like 500 times. You know, it's frustrating, but it was an adjustment my my first my first year. 
But um, you know, after my first year, I was I was good, and um, you know, I just had great experiences in in a lot of different countries. Played on some good teams, played on some bad teams. Um, but the overall experience was great. Just being able to go to Europe, being able to travel the world to to play basketball and get paid for it. You know, I, <laughs> I know I'm I'm sure a lot of people would like that. Well, and that's a, a cool byproduct of going overseas is the chance to, to really see the world through basketball. Uh, yeah. What were some of the what, what were some of your favorite places that you played and mm-hmm. countries, cities you had the chance to experience? Uh, my, I was able to play in a lot of cool places. I was able to play in Gran Canaria for two years. Um, that's in Spain. It's on the coast of Morocco. It's close to Morocco. I was able to play in Athens for two years in Greece. Uh, I played in Israel basically five minutes from Tel Aviv. Wow. So I was on the beach there. Um, I played in Italy for a couple of years, played in France. Mm. Uh, I played in Lyon, which is probably my favorite city out of every, out of every city I played in just because of the scenery and just the way of living. You know, I, I was able to play in a lot of cool places and, and experience a lot of different cultures, different, go to different countries. And it was, it was, it was pretty cool. And just being able to expand my mind a little bit, you know, learning from a lot of good top European coaches as well. So I felt like it was great being able just to play over there and, and learn that, learn the European game and also just learn different things from, from the coaches. Cause they have a lot of really good coaches over there. Yeah, whenever I've talked to guys who played overseas, this question always gets me a lot of interesting answers. But did you have any like weird fish out of water experiences, something where like maybe just you you didn't like get what was happening because there was a cultural difference and you sort of had to adjust to it? No, but the one (laughs) my my first year, my first year, you know, I'm I don't know anything. So I'm I get there and, you know, I'm just on my phone just calling people back home, talking on the phone for 45 minutes, an hour. So I get my first phone, I get my phone bill back and it says, it says like $4,000. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? Because I, you know, the, the long distance, it's yeah. extra charges. So I'm just on the phone. Like I'm in, the, like I'm in the States. So that was probably the the biggest thing. And I told my teammate and he was like, Oh my God, no, no. And after that, he showed me what I need to do. And he yeah. got me right. That was probably the biggest thing. That was the biggest shocker for me. I'm like, <laughs> dang. I'm like, I can't let this happen again. <laughs> um, for people that don't realize, I mean, you just wrapped up playing about a year ago. Um, yeah. How did you make the decision to hang it up when it came to your time on the court? I don't know. I just felt like, you know, it was just, I've accomplished a lot. I had, a, I've had a great career over there and, um, you know, I really wanted to get into coaching. You know, I just felt like it was time. And, you know, my last year playing, I was able to win a championship in Poland. Hmm. So, you know, I'm like, man, let's, let's, I might as well go out on top, you know. And I was speaking with Coach Donovan, you know, for the past four or five years, just about, you know, getting into coaching, like what I need to do. And, you know, he just always told me, like, you know, just give him a call, let him know when I'm ready. And um, I gave him a call and asked if he had any, uh, any openings available on his staff. And he – uh he made it happen. He, he got me on the staff and, you know, I'm very thankful for him. I'm very appreciative of him. You know, that's like my mentor and, you know, I learned a lot from him, you know, in one season, just being with the Bulls. So that's how I, that's how it happened. I mean, you know, I was just thankful that he gave me the opportunity and, you know, it led me to get this job. What was it about coaching that had that that pull for you? Like, what did you what did you think it had that you wanted, and that's what what really pushed you to go that route? 
I just want to be able to teach the game. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know how to play the game these days. You know, everybody just wants to dribble, shoot, you know, <laughs> but a lot of people don't really understand how to play the game. And, you know, I, I when I play, I always think about winning. You know, a lot of guys think about scoring. A lot of guys thinking about, you know, themselves. Like, you know, I've always been the type that always thought about winning, putting a team first. And I feel like at the end of the day, that's what everybody needs to play for is, you know, is to play for a championship, play play for winning. And I just want to be able to give everything that I've learned, you know, from my college experience to, you know, some of my pro teams. And I want to be able to dish that knowledge to the young generation because I feel like they need it the most because they're the ones that need to be taught how to play the game. Mm-hmm. So in, in your year with the Bulls staff, uh, wh- what did you learn? How did you grow toward this goal of being a coach in the year that you spent with, with Coach Donovan? Well, we had coaches meetings every morning at about 8 or 8.30 over there. So, and they, they lasted about two hours. And, wow. You know, they were just, us, you know, game planning, you know, the state of the team, you know, workouts, uh, you know, whatever the mindset, how the team is, how how can you get the team motivated? Like, you know, it's just a you know, it's a grind in the NBA. You're playing 82 games, it's a lot of games, so you don't have a real chance to really dwell on the loss or celebrate a win. You know, it's on to the next. And just being able to, you know, see how Coach Donovan would manage, you know, coaching the team, you know, manage their, you know, personalities and just being able to see how he communicated with the guys and you know, just being able to be there and be able to just pick his brain, you know, I just felt like it was invaluable, you know, and, you know, I'm appreciative of him. And, you know, like I said, everything I've learned along my way, you know, I learned a lot from Coach Donovan. Um, I just wanted this back to, you know, these kids, get Florida back to that elite level that we, we need to be. That's partly coming with, you know, that's part of player development. You know, that's part of my role is just, you know, being able to, getting these guys ears and, and being able to just kind of show them the way, show them what it takes to, you know, be disciplined, to be a good player, to be a good teammate, you know, to get to the next level. You know, that's what I really want to dive into with these guys and just be able to help them and just, you know, be somebody that they could come talk to uh, anytime. So how did this role come about? Obviously you're with coach Donovan for a year uh, and then uh-huh. there's this big change at Florida. How did this all come together? It, it seemed like it happened pretty quickly. Yeah, well, you know, Coach Golden, I think he got hired, you know, after he got hired, he literally called me, like, I think, I don't know, I'm not sure, I think, I want to say three days, it might have been like three to five days after he got hired, and he gave me the opportunity to come back, and, you know, I I jumped on it, you know, just being able to be back at my alma mater, being able to, you know, be a part of his staff, be able to learn from him as well, you know, I've heard, you know, rave reviews about him as a coach, as a person, and, you know, just being here, he's great, like, we have a great staff here. You know, I feel like I'm going to learn from them as well. And, you know, we have a good little vibe around here, a great staff, energetic staff. And, um, you know, we're, I'm just really looking forward to being able to contribute and, and help Todd, you know, get the program back to this elite level where we need to be. Yeah. How weird was it? And I guess, is it actively uh, walking around the facility, uh, being on the other side, right? You are, you are now the, uh, you're no longer the student. You're no longer the player. You are, you are the establishment, right? How's, how has that been so far? Has it been, has it been kind of a weird adjustment? No, not really, man. It's just, is I'm just happy to be back. Like, you know, I'm, I'm content with my, with my career. I'm happy playing. I'm, you know, I was happy with my career and happy with what I've done. 
And now it's like, you know, it's on to the next chapter. You know, I'm, I'm eager, you know, the same work ethic that I put into when I was a player, you know, to get better, I'm going to do the same as a coach. So, and I'm just going to learn from these guys, learn from Todd, you know, Coach Corey, Coach Hartman, you know, Hufty and, and, you know, our staff and just, you know, just be a sponge, but at the same time also help out with some of the knowledge that I got as well. And I guess you can lean on the, the relationships you have as well. Um, I want to say, was it a few days ago, was Ray Allen passing through? Yeah, Ray Allen came through, GOAT. He came through. Yeah. Uh, you know, he spoke a little bit to, to some of our guys that was here. And, you know, he's a very wise person, man. You know, the guy's a legend. <laughs> you know, he's uh, – <laughs> You know, he's played for championships. He played with a lot of great players. And, you know, our guys did a great job of just asking questions. And just, you know, he was great with speaking with the guys and just, you know, sharing his experiences. And I feel like that's invaluable for our guys as well. And I know there's probably a few other friends that you have that, uh, that can probably come through and, and, and you know, give some wisdom. One of those guys is uh, actively killing it in the NBA Finals. I and mean, what, what is it like mm-hmm. seeing Al Horford all these years later uh, getting the finals for the first time and having this this almost this career renaissance toward the end. Man, it's, it's great. Man, he's 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 turned the clock. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's great, man. Horf has always been disciplined. He's always taking care of his body, and you know it's just a testament to his work ethic. You know he's expanded his game. You know he wasn't a shooter when he first. He couldn't throw a rock in the ocean when he got to college. You know now he's shooting a three ball consistently. So that's just a testament to his work ethic. You know he's done a great job of taking care of his body, and you know Horf has always been a leader. And um, you know he that that's obviously carried over to that team over there in Boston. Uh, as far as as Joe and Corey, the other you know, the other O fours that are, we're not seeing them play every day at this point, but what are your relationships like with with those guys? How often you get to see them and talk to them? I talk to him a lot. We don't like we'll get to see each other at times. You know, we're always we're all living our lives and we're we're a little bit everywhere in the in the, in the world. But you know, we always talk to each other. Uh, you know, those are my guys, man. Those are my brothers forever. And um, I'm just happy everybody's doing good. Everybody's healthy and everybody's you know was able to have a a great career. You know, Al still going. And we rooting for him. So it's just awesome, man. Those are gonna be my guys forever. And you know, we'll get them back here and, you know, it'll be good to have them back, share their wisdom as well. You know, our guys can ask them whatever. It's going to be good. What's the most recent weird story you can share about Joe that is family friendly? <laughs> I don't know if there's any family. There's none of them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's not any family friendly. But I, uh, the best stories are the, are the, are the non-family. It's true. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't. It'll take me a little bit to think of a family friendly one. I can't think of one off the top of my head. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I guess that's that's not a huge surprise, I guess. Um, We talked earlier about uh, about your family growing up and and the impact they had on you. Tell us about your family today, because that's obviously another that's another big change from uh, from last time you were at the facility in college. Yeah, well, um, well, my parents, they moved to Vegas. You know, my sister, she was in school here. She lives in Vegas as well. She's a lawyer. You know, I have three kids now. <laughs> I got a nine-year-old, Kylie. I got a six-year-old, Elijah, and my four-year-old, Everly. Um, you know, they're growing fast, and those are my three little gems. And, you know, I'm just excited to see them grow. They're growing fast, and, you know, I'm excited to see what they become. Are they uh, Are they into basketball? Have they gravitated toward it or, or not necessarily? Not necessarily my, my, uh, so my oldest, she does, she's a beast in gymnastics hmm. and tennis. 
my son, he loves soccer. He's not, he's just soccer. I'm like, hey, cool. But if you want to go play soccer, that's where all the money at anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, my daughter, she's my little one. She's just in the Barbies and dolls right now. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't gotten that next level yet. Um, yeah, hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. So when you're playing overseas, like, are, are your kids, do you, how often do you see your kids? I mean, do they travel? Is it, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious what that lifestyle was like and, and how different is this now? Uh, well, my nine-year-old, she lived in Orlando, so it was tough to see her a lot. And uh, I was overseas a lot um, while she was growing up. You know, I would be able to see her maybe once out of the year. She would be able to come because she had school. So that was tough, but we would FaceTime. And, um, you know, my other two, they came with me, actually, uh, for about five, five or six years. Wow. Yeah. So they were, yeah, they came with me for about five or six years. My son was actually born in Italy and my, uh, my youngest was born in Israel. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so really cool. they were, they were born in Europe, which was pretty cool. And, um, hopefully, hopefully my son EJ becomes a nice soccer player. You get the Italian passport. God, God, take advantage of it. God, take advantage right? of it. Right. That's a fact. That's yeah, a fact. You yeah. got to. Um, final thing for you, you know, as you're back in Gainesville, it's been, I guess, about 15 years, uh, and it has changed a lot. Uh, I'm curious, what are, what are some things you were excited to revisit in Gainesville? And then what are some things that are new that, you know, weren't there the last time around for you? I didn't know if I, I was in the right place or not when I got <laughs> off Archer, but I'm driving. I see Cheesecake Factory. I saw yeah. Chains. Yeah. I saw, I'm like, those are, those are my spots. On. Those are my yeah. spots. I was like, man, no, those, hey, those are my spots. I was like, hey, they got some of my spots in Gainesville now. I'll huh? take this job. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the one thing I was most excited about, they still have Miapa. You know, Miapa. I'm trying to get the coaching staff to to really like Miapa. I'm mean, it's a work in progress, but I'm working <laughs> on it. Uh um, but you know, just being able to be back, just see celebration points crazy. Like that was non-existent. That was just woods when I was here. Yeah. Um but the the development of the city is is great, and I think it's great for the school. I think it's great for the city, and you know it'll be great for recruiting as well. So I think it's a great thing that they that is developed, and it's pretty cool to see actually. No, no rehab or whiskey room though, or all those. Yeah, all yeah, those yeah. Pl- I was plasma. looking. I was looking. Yeah, it's it, it, none of that. No <laughs> rehab, no whiskey room, no plasma. Uh, yeah, ain't none of that. None of that anymore. It's crazy, but they still have a couple places no no more excess no, no more excess nope no i know times times are changing times are changing i just changed man you gotta be yeah you gotta be able to adapt though that's right that's right well uh torian thank you so much for joining us gator nation so happy to have you back good luck as you start this new role and uh we look forward to seeing you out there on the court i appreciate you man gator nation let's get it man hey we need y'all to show up at the old dome this year too let's get to it <laughs> we need the old dome rocking And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting floridagators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.